0: The Big Light Presents
1: Hello, I'm Sean MacDonald, you're listening to Blethered and my guest is rugby player and entrepreneur, Grayson Hart. We talk about Grayson's upbringing in New Zealand and the challenges that that brought before moving to Scotland to play professional rugby. Grayson explains how serious injury impacted his mental state and saw him partially dependent on severe painkillers just to get through each session. And we chat about Pure Sports CBD, Grayson's company that specializes in wellness products and alternative solutions for ailments. And as always, we chat about plenty more. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Blethered Live On Stage is coming to St Luke's in Glasgow on Friday the 26th of November with a very special surprise guest tickets are now on sale via Ticketmaster just click on the link in the episode notes to buy it's going to be a great night with a great guest so don't miss out this episode is brought to you by debt experts don't fret about debt if you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt then visit don't debt.net forward slash you can also listen to my episode but Don't Fret About debt. Senior Debt Advisor, Tommy Gallagher, where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland, helping you to make an informed choice. Take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. Cheers. Grace and heart. You've got the privilege of being the first Kiwi to be on Blethered. How does it feel
2: mate? <laughs> feels good, feels good but when I'm speaking to a hearty Scotsman like you, I'm a, I'm a fellow Scotsman at heart. So that's, that's, that's
1: it mate, well we're going to talk about your grandmother who was born in Glasgow um, but first of all we'll talk about you. So born in New Zealand, what was life like in New Zealand when you were growing up? Is it is it vastly different from the UK or is it very similar due to the the sort of British and Scottish heritage that it has?
2: Yeah, I think, like, it's a tough one to kind of put into words, but there's so many similarities. Like, like oh, I think when I moved to Scotland, like, there's, there's a lot of, like, beautiful greenery and hills and mm-hmm. mountains, which are amazing. Um, and that's something that, like, New Zealand, like, is known for. And I think, like, growing up there, you almost, you just become used to it um wasn't until I was a bit older I, I sort of started going like camping and stuff with my friends and like, like like wow man like we got some beautiful scenery and stuff like that um but sort of what you know um sport is massive in New Zealand I think um you know playing sport in school and for a club and in your backyard it's just like it's like part of life mm-hmm. I think for everyone uh, or, or like a huge amount of people. We love rugby. My family loved rugby. I love rugby. Um, but yeah, man, it was. I mean, yeah, it's it's got its differences. I think potentially, obviously, the seasons. Uh, we probably have a bit more yeah. of a sit summer time. Like um, last, we
1: longer. F- we've got like four seasons in one day every day exactly. up in Scotland. So you never know what time of year it is if you look outside.
2: Yeah, but hey, living in Scotland for a good number of years, uh, you've got to be resilient. So, you know, make, make one thing my dad always used to tell me as a kid when it was raining and people were complaining, it, and it always sticks out. It was the most simple thing. He'd be like, he'd be like hey, mate, a bit of rain never hurt. And I'd be like, that's right. So it actually served me well when I came to Scotland because you know, you know what it's like, lots of rain, mm-hmm. lots of cold. But you just, you, if you are someone that lets the weather get to you, you don't want to live in Scotland. You know, yeah, you probably should. don't want to live in the UK. So you just <laughs> gotta like crack on with your plans no matter what, really. You should go further south. How how did your
1: family come to be in New Zealand? Was it just your grandmother herself who just decided decided to
2: emigrate? Yeah, so it's actually interesting. Like, um, so my grandma was born in Glasgow, but my grandfather uh was from New Zealand, so he actually went, he was in Scotland for some reason uh, for the New Zealand Navy um, and he met my grandma and then they moved back to New Zealand um, and so yeah, that, that's my Scottish heritage on, mm. and that's on my mum's side um, and then my on my dad's side, the, the history has been quite a few generations in New Zealand mm. um, so kind of yeah, but it's cool like having that close tie and um, part of that yeah feeling about yeah. You know, being a true Scotsman or not not as true as you, but you know, <laughs> something I've always known. I'm uh,
1: I'm tr- I'm trying to like imagine if you've ever thought about this, right? And and I'll try and explain what I mean. Do you ever sometimes just have a wee thought back to? like there's a moment which caused your entire life and being to exist and that moment can be traced back partially to your grandmother and grandfather probably having like a chance meeting in a bar or mm-hmm. something in the other side of the world and then that has has given you do you ever sort of ponder that
2: yeah it is, it's if you do ever like reflect that deeply it's a pretty like crazy thing to consider like we take our lives so seriously and it's usually at the times where, like, things seem like a bit too much, you know, mm. or, like, things aren't working out to how we would like. And and then you if you trace things back, it's like, damn, man, like, how did we even get here? You know, like, this could never have happened. So let's just try and embrace what's going on now, you know. Um, Absolutely. It's so easy to get caught up in the plan of how we think things should be or come mm-hmm. here. And, but actually, man, it was just by the most insane, ridiculous chance that we exist. So, so it's a good point, man. So thanks to you, I'm going to reflect on a bit more.
1: And I'm sorry, mate, if, if I've given you like an existential crisis like later on by lunchtime today, but <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Um, for, uh, before I ask about how you've on to, to playing professional rugby, so you mentioned there that your dad taught you resilience when he talked about you know about the the about rain never hurt anybody. We not to prod on something that's probably sensitive to you, but it is fundamental and, and key to your sort of life story and and growth as a, as a person. Seeing your dad go through, you know, some difficulties, you know, in his life, and it's up to you how much you want to elaborate on that. But did that cause you to to sort of grow up a bit quicker to sort of realise the um, the precariousness of life or how harsh? the world can be and did that help you to to further strengthen your resolve?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think as you grow and you I mean, I've learned that I'm someone that likes to reflect on how we've end up where we are, how we potentially have some of the habits that we have or the viewpoints that we have and I'm always, like, wanting to learn and reflect on what views and habits and things in the way I see the world that aren't of service to me and try Mm -hmm. to figure out why and maybe how I can unravel them or see more clearly. So I do think all humans have, like, some conditioning that keeps us in a view that maybe isn't as um, of service to us as, you know, uh, or or clearly that we could be seeing right. But, no, for sure, like, I think it got to a point in my life where maybe I was like, Nine or ten, where I I learned that you know some of the things going on, uh, in my upbringing were not normal, um, yeah. and not ideal. Um, because I think when you're young, like you obviously, unless things are like real, like you're being abused or um, you know, things like that, like and, and you're in like actual pain and like, really, really emotionally hurt, like I think. Uh, aside from that that's obvious that's pain and suffering in your face um but if you're just used to something and that's all you know you just kids are really like resilient i feel and Mm open-minded they they don't really they don't complain they just get on like with what they know um and so to to go back into like what you're referring to sean um it came a point in my life when I was around nine or 10 where where I actually realized some of the things going on in my house were not normal, you know? And, and what that was, was, um, my dad was suffering addiction. Um, and the addiction that he was caught up in was a heroin addiction. And, you know, it can be quite tough to talk about because I, I, my dad's passed away and I, I love my dad, my dad was my hero, um, and He was so loving and like he was an amazing father. So, when you talk about, like, I think it's, uh, an addiction like heroin, like the, the easiest thing to think about is uh, people you know, like homeless people and people out being for money to try. Mm-hmm. And what what I saw through my journey and what I'm aware of now is there are many addi- like really people really caught in addiction that, um, yes, it is obviously massively impacting their life, but they're still mm-hmm. able to like function at a reasonably okay level, you know, that they can keep a um house or, you know, still be in and around their family. And um that was that was how my dad was, you know, it wasn't to the extent where he was out on the street and that we still had a home and um he was there for us and we had meals and he was loving to us. Mm-hmm. But when I started to go, I realized that there were things that were not normal. You know, um, some of the ways in which the drugs would affect him and him and his group of friends that would come around, and um, you start to learn what was going on. And some of the with with things, addiction, there's there's the highs and obviously the lows. And seeing some of the knock-on effect of you know some of the deep depression and not leaving the bedroom for like a day or just other than get food for us kids and you start to become aware like this is not normal you know this these do affect you as a young person seeing mm-hmm. someone struggling and the knock-on effect to being around that um and one of the most inspiring things in my life was actually you know my dad was aware of his troubles he had tried to face them and tried to overcome them um, And there was many things that had gone on in his life that had led to that point of that, you know, being stuck in that. Um, and the one of the most inspiring things that really impacted my life was when my dad just was like, no, no more. I'm taking this into my own hands. I need to be there for my kids and be better. And like I said, he, I still found him a loving, amazing father, but he obviously wasn't able to function right as an, as mm-hmm. some, an addiction. Yeah. Um, And he went away to rehab off his own accord and he he became clean of drugs. And, you know, that probably, you know, him becoming completely clean and um, sober maybe around my age of like 10 or 11. Um, That was a tough time, him going away. And, us you know, we lived just with dad. My parents were separated. Um, And, yeah, that was a really tough time and one that you can't quite grasp and understand fully at that age um and I, it didn't life didn't become just easy you know my dad didn't just become this successful guy and we still really struggled financially and mm. um, you know the issues that led my dad to addiction didn't just go away um he still had times of real mental health and uh issues and times of really being down and but all in all i knew that he was driven to do that from a place of love, to be there for us kids, and uh, yeah, that was something that I will always hold dearly. And actually, I spoke because not you know when I was 21, uh, my dad passed away from cancer, and I, I actually said something at his funeral, which like to this day, like, I I I wasn't like a philosophical dude at the age of 21, but I, I remember saying this, I said. The one thing I learned from my dad is that success isn't shouldn't be measured on what you achieve materially. Um, to me, what I learned from my dad is success is how many people you can positively impact with your love, your kindness, and uh, how you could inspire someone in, in whatever way that that is. And that's something that I meant, you know, and I mean from the bottom of my heart. And I feel that has been of service to me from my father for forever. Well, you know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah for sure it, 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 there was challenges but I believe through my dad's journey through that my journey that these can be some of our biggest blessings as well
1: yeah absolutely I completely agree I mean not to discredit the sort of any pain or sadness that anybody can feel when they go through any really challenging time like that but it can have a very positive effect in a way. I mean, it can still be a baggage, can't it, in your mind, but in the way that it can fuel you or even, you know, teach you empathy, like you're saying there about struggling with addiction. Like I do strongly believe that a person isn't defined by their addiction and it can be really hard to see that though because their behaviours can be impacted by it and it's very difficult, especially if you're on the receiving end, to to separate you know, this is this person and their character and who they are, and here is their addiction, and then their behaviours that are sort of now inextricably linked with that. And there actually is quite a a clear um, defining point, I think, as well. You know, if any, but if you were to say to anyone, "Would you like to to get rid of this addiction because we can wave a magic wand," or would you like to keep it? Not one one person is saying, "No, no, I'd, I'd quite like to to remain within this prison." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also you're saying about you know, how um, kids have just become used to it. It's quite similar to the, you know, the theory about if you put a frog in a, uh, like a, a pot and you start to slowly heat up the temperature, they just don't realise that there's anything different. And yeah, kids are adaptable uh, in that sense. And, you know, finally, just to touch on the, I mean, you spoke so eloquently there, but I, everything you said, I was just nodding and thinking, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But with success not being measured materially, Really, I couldn't believe in that anymore if I tried. Um, I think any rational, sane human being would think that. But as a general society, I think we do. Not that I am like this presiding social commentator, and what I say is fact. But I think a lot of people would agree with me in the sense that collectively we sort of do look at the material wealth and success of others, and then start to use that as a benchmark against against what we've done. When in fact, I think. It sounds very sort of airy-fairy and sort of pseudo-philosophical, but the only things that really, I think, matter are the ones that are long-lasting, that aren't perishable, that you know that can't be taken away, they can't be disintegrated or destroyed, whether it's kindness or, or how much you've impacted someone or how much you just personally enjoy enjoy your own life. So, yeah, yeah um, I'm sorry. Sorry, at an early stage, I kind of prodded on what is
2: something yeah, that's painful, know, but... I'm happy yeah. to talk about whatever and I feel it's part of my journey. Like I, yeah, I exactly. never used to be open. I'll keep everything to myself. No one knew the struggles or difficulties and that weighed me down, you know, mm. like learning to accept, but accept, but learn from these things. I feel, yeah. you know, like you don't have to have a, Parent that was caught in addiction, you don't have to face really challenging circumstances where you know there was times where there was no food in the house and things like that to be able to learn from someone's experiences. Because if like whatever the message is, there's something that everyone can relate to. The circumstances mm-hmm. don't have to be the same. Um, and I and I just think, from my view, I know I I'm a work in progress. I think every human is. Um and it's a journey and it's about trying to understand ourselves and what life's about. Um and, and in a lighthearted way. I don't think like a real like and self rigorous way. I think it's just being open minded to learn and see things in a new light. But uh, yeah, I just think being able to share things is meaningful because mm-hmm. people can relate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I sort of later note, rugby, obviously a huge part of your life. Was it from an early age that you thought I can go and, you know, this could be my career. This can take me places, or, or was it something that came later?
2: Yeah, I mean, trying to look back and reflect, I really, I, honestly, loved rugby so much, man. Um, and the reason I say trying to look back and reflect, I, I feel it gave me this real bond with. My dad, that we just shared and loved. And in those times, like the sh- the other issues w- were non existent, you know. Like mm-hmm. my best memories were playing kicks at the park, you know, and I'd be lining up a shot at goal, and my dad would be behind the post pretending to be a commentator uh, <laughs> about the World Cup final kicking the goal, and I'd miss five of them, but he would redo it till I got it, you know, like these kind of yeah. things. Um, and yeah, like playing with the ball in the park, going to my rugby games. Uh, these were times where it's like there was no suffering, no like struggle. And mm. it was, and and and. but I just loved the game and I loved that sense of freedom and all the nothing else was an issue in those moments. Uh, so for me, it was just special. Like it was a genuine love. Like I just spent my whole time either chucking the ball around, playing rugby, playing in the park, playing in the games, uh, or I was skateboarding, or I I really, as a little kid, I actually enjoyed golf, so I had a little chip chip in the golf thing, probably broke a few too many windows with either that, or (laughs) the rugby ball. um, Had a lovely old lady named Edna who lived next door, cracked a few of the windows. That sounds like
1: me playing golf, mate. I'm fucking absolutely shocking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I uh... I was better at golf when I was like 10 much better than I am now. But yeah, it was all fun. But yeah, man, that was, I love that. But I don't think I looked at rugby as something that I'll, I think all Kiwi kids have this thing that like, because the All Blacks are such a massive part of our culture. Mm. Um, So, you know, I was like, I want to be an All Black. But that was just like you being a kid wanting to be an All Black. You know, you don't really know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, yeah, it wasn't until a little bit later that probably when I actually got to the end of high school we hadn't done well at all in school and I was like Shit, <laughs> it's over uh I need to figure out what I want to do with life and I'd made a few rep teams I'd played in the first 15 but I still wasn't taking it that that seriously I was like you know but I think that was a point where I was like flip I want to have a real goal at this now mm. uh, and it came with a different dynamic because it wasn't just what I loved anymore, which is what rugby had always been. It was like, I can use this to make my life better. And although that was a positive thing, it also put new a new layer of pressure and it made the game I loved into something that could help me, which I think led to some struggles as well.
1: Mm. How how did they move? So, was your first club abroad, was that you playing in Edinburgh? Yeah. How did that, how does that come about? And is that like a, was that daunting when the opportunity came up and you're like,
2: right, oh shit, this actually is like the other side of the planet? Yeah, no, it was scary. Like, you, you I think a lot of rugby players on the southern hemisphere, like New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, have a kind of view that they may play in Europe somewhere at some point or Europe or Japan. Uh, But it's not till the actual, like, offer is there that you really look at and like, holy shit, I don't really truly reflect on life. Like, I I looked at what the rugby would be like or what, and, you know, and I thought it was going to be cold and uh, it's going to be tough playing in the wet and all that all the time in the cold. But I don't really think of, like, life. Like, um, so you start to reflect. But for me, the – I I made got my Auckland contract when I was nineteen, um, which was young. Um, I played in the New Zealand under twenties. We won the Junior World Cup um, and played for the Blues and um, the Super Rugby. So my professional career came around really quickly, and and I don't think I was mentally equipped. I don't feel. I think some people are already and mentally aware of things, and I think through my own journey and the pressures I put on rugby to like almost like for lack of better words, like save my life, like give me something that I was, had a purpose to do. Cause to be honest with you, for me, it was like make or break. I was uh, either make as a pro rugby player or I'm on the dole, or I grind my life away at minimum wage working at the ports of Auckland, where yeah. I had worked from high school till I got my first contract. Or, you know, I had many friends that I'd grow on, grown growing up in in New Zealand and Auckland who were similar to me, similar area in Auckland, you know, similar upbringings. Um, who they they went on to, you know, be involved in gangs and organised crime and these things and you know, their journeys haven't panned out very well, so I'm still all not, uh, involved in that. Sadly, some, um, I mean, I've had some close friends and family in a similar age to me that have committed suicide um, and some who are just really, really struggling in addiction and not not good. i mm-hmm. had some who are similar to me that have really, like, gone on to be driven, or, or, sorry, not only me, but have uh, gone on to... Be, be more driven to like make something better of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but out, out that pressure with my rugby. And I think it put a le- level of pressure on the rugby signs I've never felt as a kid. Um, and I didn't handle it well. I was struggling mentally. My old man passed away when I was 21, which was, he was a massive part of my support in rugby and why I loved it. Um, and I really just really struggled. Um, to the point where I actually wasn't performing, was in a bad place, a lot of drinking, a lot of issues. Got released from my blues contract. It came a point where I, was, I had to like figure out what I was going to do with my life. And from there, I went to Australia, found my love again, found a bit of clarity. I actually ended up getting some therapy to help me understand myself and these pressures and struggles I was going through some of these things around drinking and coping and gain more clarity. Found my love for rugby again when I was in Australia. Um, Didn't mean all the issues went away, but I was in a much better place. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then from there, I spent two seasons in Australia and then knocking at the Scottish Rugby Union because what they do is they have like this recruiting system where they speak to the agents and find out which Southern Hemisphere young pros are qualified for you UK-based nation because if your parent or grandparent's born there, you qualify for that country. And obviously my agent asked me, and I said, yeah, my grandma's Scottish, we're proud. Me and my brother love watching, supporting Scotland, that's our second team, yeah. And he goes, okay, cool. And then pretty much he came back to me, within a couple of months, he was like, oh, there's an offer for you to go play for Edinburgh. And I was like, oh. And I was like, man, this is a chance for me to, like, experience life, try to progress my rugby career, to see the world, and that's how it came about.
1: How did it feel? Because, well, first of all, I'll preface this question with a statement. So I've uh, moved to Barcelona in 2013 and there I encountered I pals that are from like uh, Christchurch in Auckland and stuff. And I came to quickly realise that it is a rite of passage that a lot of young people are constantly looking to go out to Europe and to sort of explore whether it's a heritage or, or just the sort of the world in general. So... It's not unusual that someone would come from that part of the world, especially and start in Edinburgh. Like Edinburgh is particularly full of Australia, it's full of English people. Uh, but it's even and that includes the people that were born there. Um but the there's a lot of Australians, so it seems to me like a place where people start and then sort of work their way down. When you arrived, how did it feel? Because because we're so similar culturally, I think people here see an Aussie or a Kiwi and think ah oh, well so so what like we're practically the same but it is I, I keep laboring this point but it's halfway around the planet mm-hmm. how what was going through your mind because you were also like so young
2: like mm-hmm. when, when you came here yeah oh, man it made me realize how small and how new of a country New Zealand is mm-hmm. but it's like when you just grow up there that's all you know and you've never traveled around the world and then it's like yeah, you kind of and I didn't really listen that well in school either, so probably didn't take notice of like, you know, um the free side of things. But New Zealand's very new in comparison to yeah, I... you know, the, these countries that have been here for thousands of years in Europe. Like and and, and new in terms of like um the country development. Obviously, the indigenous culture, uh the 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 Maori people have been there for a long time. Um but as a you know, developing country, it's, it's very new. Um, and that was something that I learned. And so I remember moving to Edinburgh and I walked down the street and the closest thing I could relate to it was like we did a school play, Oliver Twist, once. And there was a set and it was all these like old like cobbled buildings. And, cobbled things. And, and for me, walking through the streets of Edinburgh, I was like, damn, like I'm on the set of Oliver Twist. <laughs> like it's what it felt like. And I would literally be just looking at them, even like the things like this like sandstone buildings, the cobblestones, yeah. uh, the old some of the old stone walls. i will be just looking at them like, fuck, man, like these yeah. are old airs. Like see I'll- to be
1: honest, mate, like even in at I was born in Glasgow. Um, and when even when I'm walking about Glasgow, I look at buildings and I'll stop and look up and just think, wow. That yeah. is incredible. Something that's like 600 years old. Yeah. And that's relatively new in the grand scheme of things. But I, I'm a mass like I absolutely love Edinburgh. Um, although I take the piss out, like saying they're the second city and stuff. But I just think, I think Edinburgh is one of the most spectacular cities on the planet. And even I, having grown up around it, so therefore kind of taking it for granted, is just like, wow, yeah. this is just,
2: this is mind blowing. Yeah, that was an amazing place to move in. Yeah, it was just so cool to like immerse myself in a culture that, like, one, like you say, it's easy because we I feel our way of looking at life, um, the Scottish and the Kiwis, was very similar. I feel like we have like a mutual like feeling of like connectedness somehow. Yeah, um, like you said, I think you know the Scottish people just accept us Kiwis in, um, and. Yeah, we got a we got a way of I think a lightheartedness and a, um a, about us that's relatable, uh, and the fact that so many of our uh, of our ancestors from Scotland uh, not long ago, you know. Um, so yeah, it was an amazing place. Like it was such an eye opener. I absolutely loved it, man. Like even the novel, even the freezing cold trainings and at Murrayfield and in the wet and the, getting the dark for the first couple of years I was just like everything was like a novelty I was like oh that's kind of cool like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so no I love man. yeah just looking at those buildings man like makes you when you're not used to it like the castles and it's like just I don't know man it makes you like give mm-hmm. you a feeling of like reflection of life and how short hours is in comparison and yeah
1: yeah 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 um- yeah, if Edinburgh, I would say if Edinburgh is the, the picturesque postcard, then Glasgow is the edgy underbelly of Scotland. Uh, and I mean that in obviously the most positive way, uh, speaking as a Glaswegian. Did you notice a big cultural shift when you came through? Because the city looks different. The people's attitudes are mm. different to, to what you'd get in the capital. How did you find it?
2: Yeah, I did. I, I found, I loved Glasgow, man. Uh, so what I found was I think Glasgow had, to me, like when people talk about Glasgow that aren't from there, I feel they give it a bad reputation because I feel people go there and I feel like you really need to immerse yourself to truly value what Glasgow has to offer. Definitely. Uh, I think you can go to Edinburgh and look at it and be like, wow, was beautiful. Uh, I, Glasgow still has some unbelievable, like beautiful um, – Places, but it's not as like picturesque. You don't walk down the high street with the big castle and you know all of that. Uh, So, so I feel like you need to explore. You need to understand what the locals are doing. But the the food scene, the cafe scene, the shopping scene, um, the welcoming like vibe of the Glaswegians. I -hmm. feel like there's no place like it in the world, Um, and. Chelsea and I, uh, my wife, like we often say, if we were to go back, like we would love to live in Glasgow again. And it's something that's off off the cards for us. We loved it. We felt like we belonged, the people welcomed us. I think the slight difference, maybe, is like from from Edinburgh. I I do feel Edinburgh almost, and and this is not a prison, but there's almost like quite an elite. Mindset around it, yeah. Very like private school. Who knows who? Quite clicky, almost because people have been in this group and this. Whereas, I think the what binds Glasgow together is that you're a Glaswegian and you're in it, like you know. Uh, and I really feel that that's there's that sense of connectedness there. And that and then I think like the city's been through some real rough times, and they're proud of. How far they've come, you know, and um, yeah, yeah.
1: The yeah, uh, I mean, the the regeneration of the city over the last well, since we had the Commonwealth Games in 2014, and there was like billions poured in. I mean, there's still a, quite a way to go, but it's a it's a modern, forward-thinking city. But the best thing about Glasgow is the people. I always say, like, I've been lucky enough to have had nights out in places like Rio and Hong Kong and Mexico City and New York and London, but. Nothing like if if you were to ask me, you could go out anywhere for a drink. I'd be like just any Glasgow bar. To be yeah. honest, like because yeah. you know that's, that's where you're guaranteed to have the best time.
2: You're always gonna have a laugh. You're always there's always gonna be a character having a bloody good time and taking the piss out of you and back and forth. And yeah, man, I, I think yeah, I agree.
1: Let's um, let's talk about. I would like to talk about Pure Sports CBD, your your company, but let's talk about how you kind of came to to starting that up. Was that did you basically have issues with injuries which led to more of a reliance on more pharmaceutical mm-hmm. resolutions?
2: Is that right? So, pretty much, like, not far into my uh, time at Edinburgh, um, I was having some knee pain. And um, I got sent for a scan because my knee was getting quite puffy and sore. Mm -hmm. Missed any games or anything, but I was just getting a bit sore. Um, Was starting to have to take anti-inflammatories and that and around training and games just to deal with the pain. Didn't think anything of it. Um, And then they sent me for the scan and came back. And then they're like, oh, we got the scan back, okay. And then they're like, let's go have a chat. And then I started look seeing that it was a bit odd because the whole medical staff, including like the head doctor and the head of medical, head physio, the other physios, all were coming into this meeting. Room. And then they pretty much sat me down, like the scan was really bad. Like your all your cartilage is gone. You got bone spurs in your knee. Your knee's unstable. Um, they're the specialist has advised, like, said that if you carry on this, right, you're going to need knee replacement by the time you're 40. Based upon the scan, they think, like, they would advise that you retire. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I was 24 or 25 years old. They hell? Missed the game. Um, and I was like, holy shit, like, what? So anyway, um, I was like, well, like, I'm not going to retire. I've never missed the game. What's going on? Like, it's not that bad. So they go, look, like, let's get some... Some other opinions, so they sent it, and I got sent off to three different knee specialists. They all reviewed the scan, they reviewed me, got me do all these different exercises. They all agreed on the scan that my knee was buggered. Um, mm-hmm. and but what they did is they tested me out and they saw I was still functional. Um, and they said, Look, because he's still functional and that is reasonably stable, there's rehab he can do, he can strengthen it. Um, Yes, we do think if he carries on playing rugby, he's most likely going to need a knee replacement probably by the time he's 40. Um, but it's it's in his hands, but this is going to be an issue for him, his knee. Anyway, from there, uh, I got on with it. Um, probably part of the mentality was my clubs knew my knee was stuck because that goes on your medical report. Mm-hmm. So I, I would often keep some of the, how painful and how many, how much issue it was causing me a bit to myself. I also got my physio treatment and stuff, but I didn't want to ever let it on because I never wanted an excuse to not get picked and I never wanted an excuse to not get a new contract because I was worried about my knee. So I just got on and my brave face. But what that meant was that I actually got more and more reliant on painkillers um, and I was being supplied these painkillers and them. And it got to the point where uh, I was taking my five, six painkillers a day um, to the point where some of these were opioid-based because I need some stronger ones than what I was on to kind of get the effects that I was getting. And I just uh, had a really negative effect on my physical and mental health
1: to the point
2: where some of these opioid-based things like tramadol, I saw them really impacting me. Um, And with what had gone on that I'd seen in my childhood with my dad, I actually mm-hmm. thought some tendencies around some addictive things with some of these pain that was happening in me. And that was a real wake-up call, along with the like physical um, issues I was feeling in my gut and sleep quality from taking all these chemicals and mood and the energy and all that. And then um, I just started immersing myself and trying to find an alternative. So I, I wanted to play rugby. Uh But I wanted to be healthy, and I didn't want to get caught in this cycle of addiction. Um, And then I started learning about natural alternatives, um, all these different things that were amazing, like turmeric, fish oils, um, um, different diets that were anti-inflammatory. I learned about adaptogens and new chocolates, and how these were helping people. Started trialing different things. And I learned about CBD, because I heard about it from looking up stuff, and I heard on from the States, some UFC and NFL guys were saying, talking about it, I'd never heard of it, wasn't really uh, readily available in the UK at that time. Came really curious, waited till an off season, because I was obviously drug tested, and CBD stands for Cannabidiol, which is an extract from the cannabis plant, which doesn't get you high, but has um, health benefits around Mm -hmm. um, stress, anxiety, inflammation, pain relief, uh, and sleep quality. So, Waited to the off season bought a whole lot of different things from the States, was really excited, trialed it, found that some really were great, others were not, stuck with the ones that were working. Over that six-week period, it was the first time I was able to get off pain in a long time. Um, felt amazing, noticed my mood, my energy level, my sleep quality mm-hmm. due to getting off painkillers had improved. My knee felt better than ever. Went back to training. Um, Told my doctor I was on the CBDs, got off the painkillers. Pretty much the advice was, I'll check it. He came back the next day, he goes, You can't take because it it's not batch tested. So we need you should get back on these painkillers. I was upset because I was like, um, I don't want to. I found an alternative that's good for me. Mm-hmm. I looked further into it, what we can do. Wasn't really getting any help um there. So my I became like a mission really. I was like, man. I'm going to find a way to do this. Um, and the mission for them was to find safe and trusted CBD that I could use as a drug test athlete, literally scoured the globe, research, reach out to people, spoke to WADA, UCAD, spoke to manufacturers, spoke to brands, couldn't find the clarity. Along the way, I actually connected with a dude who was in the States, and He was in one of the leading hemp farms and he goes, i got a." solution for you i've got this new extraction equipment to create this um uh bespoke extraction for you so you have these products batch tested and they'll pass um and i was like cool i want to get like 30 enough this was doing the raw material i'm going to get enough to make 30 bottles of cbd thought i was going to be one of his best customers he laughed at me and he goes no man like i'm talking mass quantities here if i Use my new equipment, calibrate it, create a speech boat extraction. Uh, we're talking mass, and I was like, "Damn." Anyway, that was when I went away. I was like, "This is a business opportunity," um, and that's when the idea arose to create Pure Sport CBD to become the first fully batch system-certified CBD product for athletes. But our game plan was provide through that avenue. Provide the world because we felt was had benefits for anyone and everyone, but there was lack of trust in the industry. So if we can provide the most fully certified and lab tested to provide clarity and integrity, we're going to bring that trust to the market and solve issues. So that's how it came about.
1: You've had the you've had some really impressive press coverage as well. I mean, am I right in saying like Grazia... Um Forbes, yeah. we've got we've had GQ and stuff. Where has that interest come from? Has that been from your personal story intertwined with the business itself?
2: Yeah, I think it's a it's a um I mean, man. Like, if you had told me that these opportunities were going to come up, I would have not believed you when you said that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, this is a business that was started out of savings, uh, no investment, everything went into it, no business experience, just. Uh, opportunity, a belief, a passion and a drive to learn and evolve. So think that coverage, you know, being on Sky News, Forbes, GQ, um, all these things, it's like, fire out, man, like it's unbelievable um, to see how it's grown. Um, And we're still, you know, we're still growing. It's still so far to go. But um, yeah, I think it's a combination of Real people who have started something out of a true passion and a true story to solve an issue Mm. and provide trust and a a drive to actually want to help people um, with the products that we're creating. And so being innovative, being the first in the world to gain that certification and actually running the brand as the pro rugby player for the first year and a half of the business. Um, is something that I think is interesting to people and I think I've always been willing to say I'm not an expert I'm learning yeah. I learned from people who know more than me um, and I think people can relate to that
1: Yeah I, 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 immediately I think of and you've probably seen it you know the whole Simon Sinek Ted talk about the power of starting with why and when people will fundamentally connect with you're not just a snake oil salesman trying to Trying to punt them some sort of like magic beans or magic potion, but it's something that you've used and has been developed through a necessity. First of all, I suppose because you know it wasn't as a business, but more so you needed something that worked for you. Uh, Is this is this what you see yourself doing for the? You're going to be working on it for for the foreseeable future. Is it like a long term vision for you? Yeah,
2: man, most definitely. This is. I feel like I love rugby and I love. The opportunity, but I, I often struggle to like really uh, immerse myself. I don't think I fit the mold that well, um, and I feel this is my passion. Like I actually also feel a real drive to help educate people on a lifestyle around our wellness and well being. Um, I do think from my learning in sport and life, and um, now in this business. Is people often put their own well-being to the side to try and achieve yeah. X, Y, and Z in life because they think it's going to bring them happiness or contentment that they're looking for. And we do that at um, detriment of our health and well-being and happiness. Um, and I and now I, I really feel sh- strongly I want our brand is advocating. Yes, we have our products that are natural alternatives that are truly helping people, mm-hmm. but that's just an, an element of a lifestyle around wellness. It's an active lifestyle, finding balance, um, finding contentment in the little things, um, being immersed in the journey rather than just a means to an end, and community as well, being around and connected with people that want to you know, push you along and help you. Uh, so we advocate for a lifestyle and our products are part of that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I honestly feel like I've found what my passion is and I, I, I'm like, I just want to spread the word. And mm-hmm. a big part of our brand is like, we do things like run club where we encourage and it's free and we get people to come along and it's for all levels, whether you've never run and you want to just come and walk and get off the couch and improve to so people who are like, you know, really advanced runners and we have, We get like 170 people down on a Wednesday evening. We have fitness club. We have yoga club. These are part of a lifestyle that we're trying to advocate for people to evolve and learn and raise their awareness Um, because I do think there's so many outdated viewpoints in life that aren't actually of service to us around pharmaceuticals, pills, coping strategies um, that end up getting us in negative cycles that, detrimental to our health and well-being. So, um, yeah, man, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to be doing. and mm-hmm. There's so many elements of pure sport that we can keep evolving.
1: I think anybody listening will be surely, absolutely unequivocally, unequivocally sorry convinced that there's nothing disingenuous about you or the way that you're sort of explaining this. It is quite a, it's a, it's a, a common joke now that guys get to a certain age and they start a podcast and then they try and promote CBD products which it seems is, is what I'm doing it's purely coincidental um, uh, I mean, my my only experience with CBD products was I was invited to to go and try something at a hotel and I had like a massage using the the oil they gave me a couple of drops I had a CBD bath bomb in this hotel and then they gave me more drops to put in a cocktail like while I was having dinner I don't remember the last time I had a sleep um, as, as incredible as that, to be honest. Um, so I'll be trying, I'll be getting on to it. If you want to have a look at it, if you're listening and you're thinking, where can I see this? Instagram is a good place to start. At um, Pure Sports CBD is the the username. Uh, you see all other details and information there. Um, especially if you're an athlete who's who's looking for some alternative to... Uh, literally, what we've just been talking about these sort of chemical, because yeah, that's not good for you, is it? To be to be constantly—I mean, that's an understatement—but to be taking all that those those pills and stuff, in, in so many ways. So, um, yeah, an alternative, more natural um, remedy, I would say, is is probably the best. So, I'll, I'll be I'll be putting that in order. Um, Thank you, man.
2: So, I, I'm looking forward but to, I to, to, how to it
0: and,
2: uh, no No, mean it's one of our most driving forces is like um, seeing how the products are helping people and mm-hmm. um, yeah like we we had a, a plan to launch our brand with being the most batchless and certified but for to solve the echelon sport but actually it was a bigger picture to provide trust for people and ninety percent of our customers are not elite athletes or any type of athlete. You know, mm-hmm. they may be some sort of active thing in their life like maybe gardening or golf or walking or even maybe you know whatever it is but definitely our products are for anyone and everyone and um we also have non-cvd products which are nootropics and adaptogens that help our body adapt and um deal with you know stresses and pain Mm. inflammation and help with cognitive functions things like that so yeah, we, we love to hear from people. Uh, our phrase is our, our customer is our greatest ambassador. Um, so we, we're we always driven to provide the, the best quality and most impactful products that get people talking about the benefits. And uh, mm-hmm. we always chat amongst ourselves when we get trust product reviews coming through of, damn, like, look what this person said about how this has helped And So, yeah, man, it's, it's cool to... Business is really quite hard. Um, there's so many elements to it that I, I yeah. wasn't aware when I got into it. Um, and I'm learning and I'm trying to find my way in the world of business of how to be more effective and efficient and deal with the different being pulled in all these directions and how to have a team and how to lead people now and how to learn about forecasts and business plans and all this stuff. and um, But the thing that, Always, I fall back on that drives me is these these people benefiting out there from our products. Mm-hmm. How do we keep that up, and how do we reach more people?
1: Oh, well, you can't go wrong when you've got that approach. I certainly wish you all the best. Um, I'm sure you don't need any luck, but um, uh, hopefully, it will come your way. Thanks very much, mate. I've I've honestly thoroughly enjoyed this conversation.
2: Me too. No, I really appreciate you having me on, uh, Sean, and uh, yeah, really enjoyed the chat
1: a pleasure and if you're back up in Glasgow make sure you give me a shout I'll show you some new bars since you've been away awesome man I'll definitely go for a coffee
2: and
1: a beer definitely And and thank you again for listening to Blethered as always and we'll be back with another episode soon cheers